Welcome to Beach Houses and Babies, a private practice recap podcast. I'm Sam. On today's episode, we'll be chatting all about private practice season four, episode 18. Episode 18, The Hardest Part, was written by Jennifer Cecil and directed by Paul Adelstein. It aired on March 31st, 2011. Enjoy! Today, we have public historian interested in the histories of women and work, as well as Molly McIntyre, co-host of one of my very favorite podcasts, Dolls of Our Lives. This is Allison Horrocks. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. So I know I just gave you a little intro, but who are you? Like, Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. So as you mentioned, I'm a public historian. I'm actually a park ranger by day. And I have a podcast with Mary Mahoney, and we cover all of the old American Girl books and different aspects of American Girl fandom. That is called Dolls of Our Lives. And so mostly interested in history, pop culture, all those kinds of things. And you have very graciously invited me to talk about something today that's like a little bit outside of my wheelhouse, but I'm really, really excited. I'm so thrilled that you're here. How did you come to Grey's slash private practice and like what made you become interested in the Grey's universe? So that's a wonderful question. I will say that I had not seen any Grey's Anatomy on television ever. And then I watched, I believe it was 12 seasons in a row, uh, just pretty much consecutively. It's one of the few shows that I've really ever just truly binge watched. And what was fun is I started watching it mostly because my co-host, Mary, is a huge devotee of all things Grey's Anatomy. So Mm -hmm. I committed. One of the things uh, that had happened in my life close together was I'd never read all of Harry Potter as a kid, and I hadn't seen any Grey's Anatomy. Wow. And I went through those like kind of close together, and so many things that were known spoilers to the world were shocking to me. So I won't Mm -hmm. say what any of those are, but like famous deaths, those kinds of things, I had no real knowledge of. So I went through this kind of surprising journey. I was like, did you know so-and-so died? Everyone said, yeah, like we kind of went through that 15 years ago. (laughs) I also love other things in kind of the Shonda universe. So I was a huge fan of Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder. So really, really enjoyed those shows. And I don't know how this show has just never really been in my life, like not for any good reason. And now I'm very excited to watch all of it. Yeah, that's a common thing. People say love Grays, love Scandal, love How to Get Away, get away with Murder, all of those things. But private practice kind of just like went under the radar, which makes sense in a way, I guess. But I'm excited that you're here and that you get to get a little glimpse into our Oceanside Wellness gang. Yeah, and can I share something? I mean, I don't know that it is truly a spoiler at this point, but it has to do with Dr. Addison Montgomery. Can I share something about that? Of course, of course, yeah. So I truly knew nothing about Grey's Anatomy when I sat down to watch the first few episodes. So Uh I see Meredith Grey meet Derek Shepard, and I'm very excited. I don't know he's married. I genuinely (laughs) did not know he was married. And so this notion of this doctor showing up and saying, I'm his wife. I mean, I literally gasped. I didn't know. Like that was a true, that was never spoiled for me. I think if you're listening to this episode, you know that. That was something I did not know and was such a fun surprise. There are so few of those in our pop culture universe today. I did not see that coming. (laughs) Yeah. They did a really good job in season one of not 
letting you know about Derek. I I watched it not live, but the year after it aired because I started watching Grey's live in season two onward until this very day. <laughs> and so I did not know that also, but I was just a year behind. I wasn't 15, 17 years behind. I'm very happy <laughs> that that stayed unspoiled for you. I think when things are just not part of your world, it's very easy to miss. Yes. I will say since, you know, we've been chatting about doing this podcast, I've gotten private practice TikToks on my feed. Yes. And so now I know other <laughs> things, which is kind of funny. I'm like very slowly piecing this together. I know things about Addison that I had not known before. But for me, she was really a Grey's Anatomy character. I knew yes. of this show. But for me, and of course, I end up on one of the very few episodes where she is not in. I'm like, that's my one person I know. <laughs> it's true. There are two episodes in the entire series that she is not in. And this is one of them. The other one was um, two or three episodes ago. So they're both in this season. I love that. And I know that there is a fictional reason. Do you know if there is a real reason why she is not in this episode? I think the fictional reason is the real reason. Oh, okay. So the fictional reason, dear listeners, is she <laughs> is in Seattle delivering Callie's baby, Callie, Arizona, and Mark's baby, aka the all-encompassing musical episode. Oof. So if you if you asked me, as you just did, I'm going to say that the actual shooting schedules overlapped, and that's why she couldn't be in this episode. Because and she all, is in that episode. Yes. And wow. and like the – I don't know if they shot on the same lot, but the dates overlapped of shooting dates. And also it aired directly – I mean directly after the musical episode. That's kind of amazing actually. I, I really wasn't aware that they were so closely intermeshed on purpose. Oh, yeah. Um, well – you know, they usually say things like in passing, like when Sam was like, oh, she's delivering a baby and there's something ha there's something that happens like in the series finale or the series, the episode before that they like mention something in passing that happened on Grey's Anatomy. But um, yeah, it's it's wild. That's very cool. Yeah. So you would say you're a casual watcher or completely you're completely new to private practice. I am completely new to this show and yeah. I go through phases where I am very committed to one program and I am watching all of it. And then I go through phases where I will be watching random episodes of all different kinds of things and I'm all over the place. And I'm currently in one of those phases. After watching this episode, I think I would sit and from season one on watch all of this show because I oh. liked it a lot. So, and I like your recap. So oh, yay! I wanted to like learn and understand and kind of crack this open. I became sort of disillusioned with Grey's after a few specific characters weren't on anymore. Mm -hmm. Only because I had this really tight timeline with the show of when I started watching and when certain people left. Like it felt all really sudden for me. I didn't have 19 years to process it. <laughs> yeah, I I hear that a lot and I, I understand. And even... Like there are some characters who left very early on in Grey's who just have a place in my soul. Yeah. But people who watched it and binged it, they were like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> like all the losses happened for me in a few months, whereas yeah. they happened for other people over a decade plus. Yes. So it's just – it was – I – 
I read all of the the books that are in A Song of Ice and Fire, just the Game of Thrones series. I read the five books in six weeks. And so I had like a really tight experience with those. Like I timed Mm -hmm. it so I was ready to read the fifth book when it came out. But yeah, I think if if it had been spaced, it would be very different. Wow. Yeah. So do you have a favorite Shondaland character? We normally have people only pick one, but since you love Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder as well, I you're welcome to pick more than one. Yeah, I was thinking about this and a character I obviously love, Dr. Christina Yang. She is one oh, of my yeah. favorite people to ever be on TV. I think she was just so well written and I really respect the actor who plays her and just think she does a great job. I really liked Nellie on uh, Scandal. I just thought she was yeah. – Yeah, I thought Nellie Grant was a great character. I also just think Olivia Pope is one of the more interesting people to be on TV. And I'm going to sound like Harry Styles with movies. I like TV <laughs> to feel like TV or not yeah. at all. I like TV where everyone is extremely well-dressed, overqualified for everything, a la Scandal – or I like, you know, Honey Boo Boo. I don't have a lot of middle switches. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm also on Honey Boo Boo TikTok. I don't know how that happened. I'm happy for her. I think that she's grown and evolved and that and that makes me thrilled. Like I love all kinds of low budget reality TV. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to watch a show, I like a prestige drama or I like yeah. something like this where the universe is really well built out and the fandom is great. Scandal is a show that I just remember being absolutely captivated by. I don't know that I would do a rewatch in our political moment, but I really enjoyed it when it came out and just thought it was fascinating. And I always thought that Melly was a character that could have been very one dimensional that became really captivating and interesting to watch. I agree. A lot of those characters could have been extremely one dimensional and they turned into very... I don't know why I'm bringing up Shrek again, but <laughs> very onion-like. There's layers to that. Yes. Yes, your previous guest was talking about glass onion, and you said, yes. I have to bring up Shrek. And I, I also saw the menu, which was mentioned on uh, the previous episode. I loved the menu. I thought that was a great film. But yeah, in terms of Shondaland, I would say that those are my favorite characters. Yeah. Well, when you do your full watch of Private Practice, yes. just know that Melly is actually on Private Practice in one of the early episodes. Oh, okay. Great. She's a patient. Not as Melly. Or... No, no, no. Okay. So um, <laughs> Private Practice, Grey's Anatomy, and Station 19 are in one universe. Got it. And How to Get Away with Murder and Scandal are in another universe. And we know that because... Because canonically, Barack Obama was trying to make Derek Shepard work for him. Nice. And obviously, <laughs> you have Fitz as the president in the other universe. So, I mean, as far as we know, we cannot have two presidents of the United States <laughs> in the same year. Besides, like, obviously, inaugurations or whatnot. But uh, so, yeah, that's how we know that they are separate universes in the same years. So, Yeah. I hope a thousand years from now, this is one of the only documents that survives of our era. And so archaeologists and historians and and scholars have to like write the book of Derek Shepard and, you know, determine who was actually the president because this is the only thing that survives. And there's competing camps, you know, was it Barack Obama or was it, you know, Fitz? Like 
you know, was Olivia <laughs> Pope an actual Pope? Like, I think that would be wonderful. I think about the aliens discovering our media a lot, maybe more than I should. I don't know what that says about me exactly, <laughs> but especially when I watch RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, okay. Because of the layers, the layers yes. of culture that you have to understand. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And the and the, the words and all of it. And especially in Untucked when they're in these like runway gowns, just like sitting, sometimes tops are off, sometimes like I, I think of it many, many times. I think that's valid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what else are you reading and or watching right now? I love that question. So I mentioned that I've been watching some different kinds of things. What else have I been into? 90 Day Fiance is back, which is a source of joy in my life. I also have really enjoyed the spinoff, which is Love in Paradise, which is a very similar kind of show. I have started watching a few other reality TV shows, but none of them have hooked me at the level of those. Yeah. In terms of books, I recently read a book called The House in the Pines by Anna Rays, and I really loved that. I was really looking forward to it. And I can also recommend Amanda Flower. She's winning all kinds of awards and being nominated for Because I Could Not Stop for Death which is a mm-hmm. Emily Dickinson kind of like fan fiction. Like what if Emily Dickinson helped solve a murder? And this book was written just for me exclusively, only me. <laughs> and I loved it uh, very much. So I'm I'm always open. I also, I will say I loved the movie Megan. I thought it was hilarious. What about the really robot? Good. Yes. Well, she's a friend. Oh yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> How dare. <laughs> it was marketed as terrifying as was the menu and i i stay away from scary things i yes. think i need to watch the menu simply for paul adelstein but megan i might have to watch like in with, at a sleepover with a bunch of friends with popcorn and like people being like okay close your eyes <laughs> the menu was not scary i will say that i okay. don't think it was scary i think like a lot of more recent horror films, the horror is subtle. I wouldn't even call it horror. Megan is not scary because there's never really many moments that are meant to just give you a jump or to just frighten you on a basic okay. level. It's more, I think, a very interesting piece. And Allison Williams is the perfect actor to be in this because she played a very similar role in Get Out and in Girls very well. Just sort of yeah. like hapless, white woman, brunette, educated, trying to figure out a complex problem with technology or as she does in Girls by rapping when she should not. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Megan is funny. Megan is genuinely – like there were many moments where I laughed out loud. Okay. It's camp. Okay. So I go in knowing it's camp and not worry about being scared and not being able to sleep. No, but I will say if you are a person, and I am not this person, but if you are a person who finds a doll or a photo of a doll sitting alone on a chair scary, which I think is completely valid, that has never scared me. I have an entire room of dolls like seated in various positions. Yeah, you're not that person. (laughs) But there are people for whom that's a scary thought. My family told me my dolls could communicate and like came alive at night as a kid. And my response was cool. Like, can I join? So Exactly. The toy story of it all. (laughs) That's not for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly. The toy story of it all, I think, is why I have so much from my childhood that I cannot 
give away. Yeah, I have a very hard time with my Barbies or anything like that. Like I like to imagine that they're having a good life. I had to store my dolls temporarily in large Tupperware containers. And I was like, well, I need to like prop it open so they can breathe, but I don't want them to get water damage. You know, so it's complex. I take them on adventures, have a doll at my office always. So they're out and about, but that's not a thing that is alarming to me. I think for some people, like the whole hook and premise of Megan is it's freaky to have a big doll out with you in public. Yeah. (laughs) Not for me, for some people. No, yeah, I I don't, I, I get it. I'm glad there's a movie because everyone seems to really be enjoying it. But I would say that that is not something that scared me. Like I could do Get Out because yes. I, I loved that movie as much as you could love that movie. But Us, I forget if it was called Them or Us, but it was with Lupita Nyong'o. That one I went because people were like, oh, yes, yeah, just like Get Out. You'll be fine. I am not fine to this day. No. Some movies are Some movies are very scary. And I also think I didn't see, you know – I think depending on whether you see something in a theater or not really changes the experience. Yeah. So I think part of like how you experience a film, I saw the menu at home. And so I really wasn't alarmed or taken aback by it. But I think in a theater, things are heightened. So you kind of have to know yourself. True. That's me. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I do have to watch the menu. Oh, I also, I need to tell our dear listeners and also you, I've been talking for months about buying the earrings that Charlotte wears all of season four and I did it. Oh, they're beautiful. I love that. By Peggy Lee. She's also been on our podcast. She's the jewelry designer. They're gorgeous. I don't have them in right now, obviously, but I had to just drop that that knowledge and and wisdom on on all of you. What are your other favorite podcasts? I really most consistently have been listening to two podcasts, and I always think that people um, maybe are hoping – perhaps in vain for like some podcast wisdom. I don't, (laughs) I like to listen to a lot of one thing. I used to be much better. I am a most loyal listener of a show called Crime Writers On. And I recently completed a lifelong dream. I was a guest on their (gasps) book podcast and that was very exciting for me. That is my favorite consistent show. I think I'm friends with them. I know I'm not. I also- I bet you are. I would like to think I could be. I know that I'm not presently, but they are my sort of pop culture review heroes and heroines. I also have really gotten into Nick Vile's podcast, which is called Vile Files, but I only listen to his Q&A episodes where he does advice. I went back all the way to 2019 and I've listened to every one of his Ask Nick episodes since like October, which was a really big commitment. And it was fascinating to hear how he evolved as a person who gives advice and gets advice. And I highly recommend that. I really enjoyed that show. Oh, yeah. While I am struggling with my throat, we point out often how the actors are ill and their voice is a little scratchy. I'm (laughs) a tad under the weather today. Allison and I are recording remotely, so her health is not in danger. I also am continually testing negative for COVID, so it's not that. But I am nonetheless, nevertheless, nonetheless, anyway, isolating as much as I can and out with a mask when I rock, when I walk my dog. So don't worry, but also feel free to make light at my <laughs> little scratchy throat today. <laughs> so you are not like these doctors who are like, you know, puking one minute and then working the next. 
No. As much as I would like to say that I am Addison Forbes Montgomery, formerly Shepard, <laughs> I do indeed take time off. Well, not off because I'm still working from home and working on memorizing things, but I do not endanger immunocompromised people when I am ill. <laughs> I love that. And I, I love the conversation you had around, you know, what some people perceive to be worth at work ethic, working while you're sick or coming in and thinking about people who do very specialized work in hospitals or people who work in the food industry who are Mm. like really not encouraged to take that time to get better. That, that was really interesting to me. And thankfully I work at a place where, you know, there is no open brain or open heart surgery. And so if I am out, it is okay. Yes, yes, exactly. I was just having a talk with um, my cousin who also was a little un- under the weather and she works in marketing and I was like, we're not doing brain surgery here. Like you yeah. can take an <laughs> afternoon off. I'm like, I'm not saying that your work is not important, but. Or to watch someone performing like truly like I'm saying open brain surgery, which I know yeah. is not the terminology, but like a person having their hands in someone else's brain. And it's yeah. like the emails can wait, you know. Truly. I- <laughs> they could wait. They could wait. Do you have anything to promote? Yeah, certainly. So uh, you mentioned before that I am the co-host of a show called Dolls of Our Lives, uh, formerly known as the American Girls Podcast. That is out on basically all major platforms. We're also very easy to find. And that show name is also the name of our forthcoming book, which will be out in November of 2023. And that is all about Yeah, thank you. All about the world of American Girl fandom and kind of what it was like to grow up with American Girl. I will say even if you didn't grow up with American Girl, it's kind of a nice periscope view into a fandom that's really interesting and growing. It's something that has really only gotten much bigger from the time that we launched in 2019. So that will be out November 7th of this year. I'm so excited. I'm truly so excited. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't even ask, do you have anyone with us today? I know that when we were on the patron Zoom, you had, I think, Molly with you. Is anyone there or are they all in the other room? So they are currently in another room due to a very, very recent calamity with my cat and a vase being knocked over. Oh, they had yes. to be removed for their safety. So there is almost always a mini nearby. My mini Molly is in the car, which you know, if you're cold, they're cold. It's like zero degrees. I should bring her inside, but I've had Julie nearby recently and I love her vibe, but she takes weekends off. Okay. Yeah. She deserves it. Honestly, (laughs) that 60s, 70s mentality. She needs it. I also didn't know if you would have a co-host today who would wonder as to, you know, the strangeness, but I do pretty much any any other kind of event that I do. And whenever I am working, and if you've communicated with me at work, there is a Kit Kittredge sitting behind me, whether you see her or not. So a woman at work, a woman at work. <laughs> One of our recurring jokes, we have this thing called the GS system, which is like your level in certain kinds of government work. And, you know, the higher the number, the more you've been there or expertise that you have. And we just up the number every time. We're like, Kit is a GS-17. Wow. Kit is a GS-40, you know, at this point. So, like, a nine is good. So, yeah, <laughs> she has to be much higher. Yeah. So proud of her. I I don't think anyone I would have on this podcast would blink an eye if they saw an American Girl doll in the back. No. My – I don't know if I've told you this story before – I have the best parents in the world. I know everyone says that, but I really do. But they would not buy me a doll. Oh. They would not. 
So when I, I saved up all of my birthday money, all of my Hanukkah money, all of my everything money, and I finally was able to buy a doll when I was like 12 or 13. Like I, I was just at that point, like I was, do, I was in it for the principle of the thing. Um, so I got just a, a girl that looks like me because I was so into all of them. But I was like, I can't, I loved all the books so much that I couldn't choose one. So it really just looks like a Samantha with a cheerleader uniform on. I love Because it looks like me. And her name is Chelsea and she lives in my parents' house. <laughs> but my grandpa got me all of the Samantha books for everything I got. I have many happy birthday Samanthas. But, you know, as we got older and past the time of the dolls, I was so excited when Rebecca came out. So I have the Rebecca books whenever I find them at, you know, a thrift store or at any secondhand store, I buy them because they should have a home. And I recently found the Rebecca cookbook. So that is alongside oh. my one pot books, my mac and cheese books. Um, our listener Jade has a cookbook that is a rice cooker cookbook and it's next to that. So my Rebecca cookbook is at the ready. I have heard the recipes are actually good in a lot of the books and I know that they were tested with real people. I will say Rebecca Rubin, who lives in the early 20th century New York, she has been one of my absolute favorite characters. And it's been fun and sort of sobering to read historical fiction made for kids as an adult because sometimes it really connects and resonates. And sometimes I'm reading the book and I think, okay, this was made for a kid. Yeah. The yeah. turn, though, a lot of the more recent content, Claudie Wells, whose book just came out last year by Britt Bennett, it is such an absolute pleasure to read. It is a delight. And it's one of those nice things where I can say to adults, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to absolutely enjoy reading it. You're not going to be caught up on thinking this wasn't written for you because it's just a great book. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Where can we find you online? So I am everywhere with my first and last name. I'm at Allison Horrocks on Twitter and Instagram. And our show also has handles like Dolls Lives Pod, but um, I am best found on Instagram and Twitter and my DMs are open. So I am pretty easy to reach. Yes. Yeah. We chat. I love it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not hard to find. <laughs> yes. Yes. On the web. S on the web. Yes. In person. Don't find me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it could be fun to just go through our main friends here yes. and go through who I thought, what dolls I thought they would have, what stories I thought they'd be interested in. So um, most of these are presented without comment, but of course, you're welcome to chime in. Addison, Samantha, obviously, I think that goes without question. Dear listeners, if you're not familiar <laughs> Simply just just Google Samantha Parkington, American Girl, and you will agree. It's not even I think you will. It's you will agree. Charlotte, I think she's a Felicity, you know, American Revolution chic in Georgia. Yes. Violet, I can't decide if she's a Josefina or a Kit because I think she would just love the drama of Tia Dolores, but the inserting herself into situations and monetary drama of Kit. <laughs> Naomi. For some reason, I feel like she's a Kirsten, but she would totally get Olivia, who is her granddaughter, who you did not meet in this episode, a Courtney or the new rumored 1999 twins. I think she could get them those twins. Amelia, 
Her sisters got all the dolls and she got the hand-me-downs when they were done with them because that's kind of just how her family worked. But she loved Molly and especially the closeness of Molly and the yearning for her father. Sam, I think he would love all of the (laughs) girls of the year. (laughs) I I think he would like – he would be into the history ones but like not as much of the girls of the year. I'm kind of stumped on him. I think he's into the Royal Diaries. So it's Dear America but the Royals – I also love those. They're called the Royal Diaries, right? Yes, you are absolutely correct. Okay, cool. I loved the um, Queen Lilio Kuwani and Queen Victoria one. Of course, they weren't queens at the time, but yeah. Cooper, I feel like he's Rebecca. She doesn't always feel like she belongs in her family. She f- he feels the same way. And I mean, everybody's Jewish, so we love that. <laughs> Pete, Kaya, or he's never heard of the dolls. <laughs> Sheldon I feel like would also love Molly but also love Samantha and get really defensive when people pointed out their flaws yeah so I had one addition please yes which is Marla for some reason was like screaming Emily Bennett to me Emily Bennett is Molly's friend Marla who's kind of like I think a tangential character in this universe yes I will say, and I don't believe this is a spoiler, Sheldon was giving me Jiggy Nye energy a lot of this episode, which is not a compliment. Like, if you don't know what that sentence means, he is a bad boy. He's a bad man in one of the books. Like, he behaves badly. Interesting. This was a very tangential episode for Sheldon. Okay. Okay. But I, from from a standalone point of view... I feel that. The behavior was not great. Like that I witnessed, like not that I was part of it, but the behaviors I witnessed were not great. There was a few really kind of mean comments. So that kind of had me reeling. Addison has Felicity Merriman hair, but I agree not the behaviors. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Have to agree with you there. Thank you. Anything before we go to our patient breakdown? No, no. I think that was all spot on. I also believe like someone in there would have owned Coconut the dog, but it's really hard to say who. I feel like Addison or Charlotte. Okay. I think that's fair. Yeah. But Naomi would be like a runner up. I don't see it for Violet. I could be wrong. Oh no, you're not. There's like that one cat that they made. (laughs) Maybe she owns that. (laughs) Maybe she has that one. Oh my goodness. Okay. So we have first notes and miscellaneous per usual. Francis Wilder has an arrhythmia, AV dissociation, third degree heart block, congestive heart failure, and a digoxin overdose. Ricky, Pam, and Terry, Casey, Jamie, and Lisa, talk therapy. Casey is pregnant and has a placental abruption. Patrick Hoffman has pelisodic astrocytoma, a brain hemorrhage, and hematoma. Then we have a section that I'm calling Violet and Marla and Sheldon. Oh, my. What is your first note? Yeah. So honestly, I was really enjoying kind of, I would say, compared to Gray's, like getting to drill down a little bit more into like these actual specific things. So honestly, I was probably most shocked because I did not suspect that psychiatry would be part of this show because I just didn't know how brave they got in this part of Shondaland. This will be etched on my brain forever when Sheldon says having a vagina does not give you a degree in psychiatry. (laughs) 
And so I did not know a lot until your show about the book. Like this, this whole notion of like a book comes up over and over that one of the clinicians has written a book that reveals her own relationship to an unplanned pregnancy. And there is this question as to whether that makes her more or less equipped to talk with these young girls who have made a pregnancy pact. And this was kind of giving me life in a very specific way because this like pregnancy packed pot line was on every show until it wasn't like it was. every show was like, we have to have a pregnancy packed plot line. There's also an iconic line in this show where someone says so much for the pact and yeah. like just these young girls who don't appear to actually be friends at all deciding to have this pact and then just as readily giving it up. But that was the very first thing that like, it awoken something in me when he said having a vagina does not give you a degree in psychiatry. I don't know what that means. I, I think it's objectively true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, you would think that you would need some more training yeah. to get the degree other than just a body part. Yeah. Having a brain maybe assists more than the former, but – so that's me meeting Sheldon. Like for obviously more advanced people listening to this, they're like, wow, Allison is in like pre-kindergarten for understanding private practice. But I'm watching this conversation. They're talking about how therapists need to be blank slates. And there's clearly this tension between mothers and daughters. The mothers have brought the daughters in to talk about the fact that they're going to be grandmothers. I went through a phase last year where I watched a television show called Unplanned. So I can relate to these people. On Unplanned, most of the grandmothers are talking to their teenage daughters. I was older than some of the grandmothers. I am 35. So this was giving me flashbacks to that program. But I appreciated that they were having this conversation about like, what does it mean for a young woman to have to become a grandparent, right? Mm -hmm. Like not only is she parenting, but grandparenting. So you know, in an episode where a dude plays piano during brain surgery, the fact that this stood out should tell you something. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That first scene where all the mothers and then all the daughters and they're together, that that was a moment. Yes. I mean, this show opens with a love scene, you know, that was also pretty unforgettable. And I misread the first time I was looking through and I thought the director of this show who is also in the show I thought he had cast himself in this opening love scene and I said wow "Wow, he really went for it but no it is not it is a different character that was my initial misunderstanding it is but I could see how you would think that yes see that yes there's clearly fallout from this book I did a little more digging to better understand this book but it was interesting to hear Sheldon and others discussing like whether their colleague had a right to tell her story and whether this was going to be more polarizing or less polarizing. And that kind of was a clue into, you know, the fact that she had had these really intense life experiences as a younger person. Is that going to help her in talking to teen parents or is that going to hurt everybody? Like it seemed yeah. like bad press. And Sheldon was one of the maybe fathers. I don't know. I don't think that that was that was very well said, but I just wanted to give you that knowledge. As an adult? Like in the end of season two. Oh, my. I thought this (laughs) happened years ago. Oh, Oh no. The child that you see in this episode is said child that was ripped from her stomach by a mentally unstable woman. Yeah. But that was also, I mean, that happened in real life. Unfortunately, oh, that many has times. happened to yeah. people. 
But, you know, that was another like ripped from the headline situation that was, was appearing on every television show that had a procedural formula. Wow, what a shock. So within a few years, she rebounds to write this book. That's an accomplishment. So the end of season three, the baby turned one. Okay. So we are to believe that at the end of season four, which is coming up soon, the baby will be turning two. Although does that look like a two-year-old to you? Because it sure does not to me. No, I will say I find it very hard to watch television and try to play along with how old anyone is. Yeah. My sister turned me on to Ginny and Georgia, and I said, I can't watch someone who looks 20 pretend to parent someone who looks 25. I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I have not gotten into that one. Um, previous guest host Mimi is very into it, but um, maybe someday. There's just so much to watch. That's me being a hater because my skin doesn't look that good. So that's <laughs> <laughs> that's that's about me being a hater to people who are, in fact, younger than me. <laughs> Psh, no. My first and only first note is when um, Sam says, in Seattle delivering a baby. I said, ooh, Callie, the musical episode, wowee! Yeah, and so I, you know, honestly, this was an episode that required a bit of, like, Wikipedia-ing. Like, if you aren't deep in here, it's like you needed to kind of know. And yeah. right away I clocked, okay, the character I know the best is not here. Except I'm also a big fan of Amelia Shepard. And I love yes. that I got to watch her do brain surgery. That was great. Yeah, yeah. Her most people who say, "Oh, Amelia is a terrible character," they don't watch Private Practice, so they only watch Grey's Anatomy, and they don't see the basis of her character. I also just I was I loved the moment you know where she kind of gets like people to rally around her, and they say Dr. Shepard needed to focus. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was wonderful, but. This show has a lot of, like, obviously one of the themes of this episode is we have this woman who is dying, and that is the mother of one of the doctors. We have this relationship that needs to be mended between a son and his grandfather, and Amelia needs to also mend his brain where he has- <laughs> Literally. Brain, like, literally an issue. And then we have these mothers and daughters and these daughters who are about to become mothers, right? And all of these really complicated relationships and like this question, you know, eternal to us all, should you hook up with the person who writes a bad review of your colleague's book? I don't know. I don't know that I'll ever have to answer that question. But to each their own. Yeah. Sure. I, certainly. <laughs> will we ever get to the bottom of it? Not sure. No. What did you make of Patrick? So Patrick is the piano prodigy who needs the serious brain surgery. Like what was your vibe on him? Made me very sad. Yeah. I went to performing arts high school, so I knew kids like this. Um, and I feel that even if you didn't go to performing arts high school, I feel like you still know kids like this who think that their relationship with their caregiver or whoever they love is transactional in some way. So like if they can no longer play football, they won't be loved. If they can't play piano, mm -hmm. they won't be loved. The whole thing just made me kind of sad. But the thing that really stood out for me, honestly, is that Amelia does not like classical music. No, she doesn't. And that she was going to have to listen to it for hours. She was going to have to listen to it for hours and like his ability to keep playing. It's oh like, my goodness. I would be – my fingers would like – the new muscles. We we learned that this young man, right, like he yeah. is facing this question of whether he has a surgery that might impact his ability to play and or may end up leaving him paralyzed. Like there's these different paths that they can take. Yeah. And he has this moment where he demands an awake craniotomy and he says, or you let me die. 
So he is in this kind of very dark place. He also recounts the fact that during his parents' funeral, his parents had passed away. Mm. Grandpa was not helping at all. Grandma is question mark. We presume, you know, she's passed. And everyone is offering him candy and ice cream. And he's like, I thought this was a party. So no no one has had good conversations with him. One of the most telling moments is when the doctors are talking to Patrick and they say, he loves you, you know, meaning the grandfather loves you. And he says, he loves the way I play. And I thought, ooh, because it does kind of feel true. It does. It does. But I also, I have a note in my miscellaneous section about this episode shows that communication, Mm. A, is very important. And we talk about it till the cows come home about all of these characters. But communication is improving (laughs) with each generation, I'm finding. Because, like – Patrick's grandfather obviously loves him, but he says, I shouldn't have to say it. If you know what you know it. But, you know, sometimes, especially in a situation as high stakes as this, like you just want to hear it. Yeah. And I, I appreciated, you know, you also talked about how like people are not communicating well with Amelia, right? So like this Dr. Shepard is kind of having her own issues. That question, though, of whether you really know what you want for life when you're 14 or 15, I went back and forth while watching this episode because other doctors chime in and say, yeah, it's most important to him right now that he can play piano. He might want to run and play with his kids later. He might want to be able to do something else later. Like, you can't know everything about yourself. And Amelia says, like, well, I knew I wanted to be a surgeon at six. Mm-hmm. The truth mm-hmm. is she could have had one singular injury that kept her from doing that. Yes, yeah. And that is also a thing that comes up a lot is how important those hands are. And especially on Grey's Anatomy when people's hands get injured, it's huge. Yeah. But I also – I was a little bit annoyed with Cooper about how he kept saying that Patrick is a child because 14 is not a child. You can almost drive. I mean we don't know how old the girls are in the pregnancy pact, but you obviously can become a mother at 14 in, in most cases. Yeah. And nothing is worse to say to a kid in crisis – then, oh, you're just a kid. Literally the worst thing, and I don't understand how how a pediatrician can say something like that. I also learned, and it was shocking to me that I had not learned it yet, and also shocking in general, that there are no nerves in the brain. Yeah. It makes sense, but I didn't know that. There are times where I see, for example, like a side view of the skeleton and the connection to the teeth, and it's like, I just don't know that I need to walk around or like when people say, I almost feel like this needs a content warning. When people say your bones are wet. Oh, yeah. These yeah. are just facts that I don't need to carry around with me and still be able to function. Oh, I don't know if I can function for the rest of this this uh, episode, <laughs> honestly. I'm thinking about my bones being wet. But that's, you know, I, I will find a way to carry on. Do you remember in season seven of Grey's Anatomy, there is a cancer patient. He's teenager, maybe young 20s, and he has – cancer in his bones they were either going to amputate or find something so this kid is it's in season seven because i just recently watched it callie and alex are his doctors and he makes them all he invites them all to watch him dance in the cafeteria is that ringing a bell for you that is ringing a bell for me and i feel like this is also a trope on medical shows of like the prodigy who would rather be dead than not be able to perform yes yes constant and we had a very similar similar story last episode with Tyler and he may be dead or maybe in a coma instead of you know not wrestling for the state championships 
I think it raises a question of kind of like, what are you trying to live for? Like what is really, truly very important to you? And as you mentioned, relationships are really at the heart of this episode and people Mm -hmm. have to make really difficult decisions about relationships and what matters to them. And you see in the struggle between the mothers and the daughters, this other reality of you can want the best for a person and you can try to do it in a way that pushes them so far away from you that Mm. it's not productive. And thinking like, wow, at 14, I don't know that I would have made the best decision for myself. We, you know, we don't, we don't know like long-term consequences of these kinds of things. I don't know that I could sit there with my brain open and do anything. I'd be like, I do need to be taken out. I would need a lot of medication. Yeah. A lot. My last note for Patrick is um, Amelia talking to Patrick's grandfather, first of all, overshare of this century. (laughs) (laughs) Second of all, she said how much her mom loved her. And how much her mother said she loved her. And it really just, you know, I couldn't help but wonder, a la Carrie Bradshaw, how she does not feel that way in current seasons. And I wonder when that changed because it seems to me that she feels that way currently when she's talking to Patrick's grandfather about how her mother still loves her, but she does not feel that way now. No, I also kind of clocked that as a very jarring moment. It's like this family is going through – their stuff and she's like yeah by the way have you heard about my family trauma and he's like oh like clearly like the man least equipped ever to process this with anyone he's like oh sorry like I thought I was going to the snack machine yeah you know this show made me value the small talk that I have with my coworkers because it doesn't involve brain surgery and this honestly kind of was like a lift in my week <laughs> I'm, I'm very glad for that Okay. We have some nice moments too with grandpa. And I think like you said, this is a great kind of window into like generational differences. Mm -hmm. It evoked for me my favorite made for television movie, which is the Karen Carpenter story, Mm. wherein the mother says like she doesn't need to tell Karen she loves her. She doesn't need to hug her because quote Karen already knows. And the therapist like literally shakes the mom and says like she doesn't. It's funny because they would be in the same generation, wouldn't they? And we're getting there with grandpa. Like, I don't oh, I don't know, like, where the road is going to take grandpa or, you know, if someone just gets dropped off at Juilliard someday and we never hear from grandpa again. But I, I am hopeful that things will be better. I am as well, although I am not sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Anything for more for Patrick before we move on to Francis, RIP? No, I would love to talk about the late Francis. Yes, yes. I am confused why Brother Adam did not call Brother Pete from the ambulance. Like, what if Pete wasn't on call? Did he say, oh, go to this hospital? You know, the jail, the prison that she was in was not near St. Ambrose. There are many hospitals in the Los Angeles metropolitan area confused how they ended up at (laughs) St. Ambrose. Okay, less serious, less logistical. My first note is Tim Wilder is hot. (laughs) That is my that is my first note. I I am really 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 loving the fact that you just meshed his real life name and his character name together. Oh, did I? I Tim Daly and Pete Wilder. Tim oh. Wilder, I'm here for it. Okay. I love maybe, that. You know, maybe that's like some new like meta creation. Like that was performance art. I didn't get It was. I didn't mistake anything. That was performance art. 
here's my honest take. So when I did like my very first like cursory watch through of this episode, I did not understand that those men were brothers. I thought that that other man was like a weird late in life boyfriend to this woman in prison. Interesting. So that's my bad. That's my bad. That was my mistake. And It's not though. It's not your fault because you should be able to drop in and know that. <laughs> it, it does help that they are estranged. Everyone is estranged. And Adam is the younger brother. But that is very interesting. So like the whole deal, right, is that she was not able to care for her children in perhaps the way that she wanted to or they wanted her to because she was dealing with substance abuse disorder. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching Tim. I'm getting to know Tim for the first time and then see how he interacts with his family. When you watch the episode through the lens of thinking this is him with his mom's boyfriend, it's very different than when you watch it again and realize that's supposed to be his brother. Because I thought this weird boyfriend was chastising him for how he talked to his mother. I didn't understand that they grew up together. That was all. Oh, I'm going to have to rewatch with that lens. (laughs) And maybe it's obvious. Maybe it's a singular line that I missed but there's so many vague statements like nobody pushes our button like family you know when he says and again it's obvious now when pete says i put us to bed i thought this was like a royal us i didn't think he was speaking to his brother i thought he was defending like a family story to this late in life boyfriend who wasn't there Oh my goodness. Because you can read that both ways. Like he's explaining versus he's defending when he says she did not take care of us. I thought he had this other sibling, right? This brother, but that he's off screen and he's explaining this to a guy who wasn't there. That's on me. I think that that may take the cake of the best guest host insight (laughs) in the history of BHAB podcast. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Because I really didn't take it. I feel like I need to give you a medal. Oh, thank you. I need thank to you. give you like some sort of like gold medal getting ready for the Olympics of it all. Wow. I'm, I'm just going to sit with that, but carry on, you know, as <laughs> – as, uh, who, who would like us to do that? I know Eleanor Roosevelt wants us to do that, but why did she pop into my mind at this second? She would. I mean, Frances, like not feeling great about her forward motion. Is there any forward motion? I mean, can we say? I don't know. I, I don't know. I think we should we should we should uh, let her let her go on her way as we continue saying that um, when Pete asks Adam if he has been smoking, he says just <laughs> a few a day, just a few, just just a few, just a few a day. Oh my gosh! You know, I'm also learning in real time that there's some cracks right in the vase of his marriage to Violet. Cracks, yeah. so holes gaping grand canyons i mean here's the thing you know i respect a workplace where everybody just brings their issues to work it's like take your dying mom to work day you know talk about the baby being ripped out of you at work day you know bring up your own paternal death saga while talking to a grandpa day like these people do not hold back they don't. They don't. They don't. I mean, one one may even say that a book could be published slash was published by Dr. Violet Turner. Violet will cross every every single boundary known to humanity, including talking to Pete's mother without him knowing. And then when he throws that in her face in an incredibly active scene, may I say. Yes. 
she says, and I had to pause. I had the closed captions on, <laughs> obviously, and I had to pause so I could write this down exactly. She says, yes, I'm asking you to do something I have not yet been able to do on my own. And uh, with my with my new laptop that actually works now, I have the emoji, <laughs> the emoji bar at the top that I can pop. So it's the emoji where it's just kind of melting. It's like the, the, the straight face that is like melting into the ground like, oh, what was me? I love it. If you forgive her, she won't be able to control you anymore. That's how you move forward. That's up to you. That was a good line. I mean, all of these are written whatever, but like therapist-wise, wife-wise, that is a good way to look at it. Like don't let – what do they say? Like if you hold on to anger, you're only hurting yourself. Or like if you hate someone, you're only hurting yourself. Sort of like the the poison pill of bitterness. Yeah. Exactly. I also think, you know – there was there was a lot going on in the scenes with his mother, right? And I think one of the challenges, like this is something that people face in real life, is when someone who does you you harm becomes vulnerable, how are you expected to act? And I think they played out in a very realistic way how complex that is for a lot of people, that all of these emotions that you've had for years, they don't just change immediately. And again, I'm thinking he's talking to the derpy boyfriend, like truly the entire first watch. Yeah. And so I'm thinking- I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. Now that I'm looking back- You would back, see it. Yeah. Yeah. But there's this moment, right, where they have this conversation and she asks, like, is it too late to start over? And that's when you are really, truly coming to grips with it is, right? I mean, there is no starting over. She's been incarcerated. They're distant from each other. And there's this other theme of kind of like consequences, right? In this episode, the consequences of the unplanned pregnancy for different characters, the consequences of you know, this totally random thing that happened to this young man that he may never play again. And then looking at the relationship that these two have with each other. And I could see Pete, I don't know him well as a character thinking, how does this impact me as a dad, as a husband, as a doctor, you know, and I do feel a little bit like maybe mom didn't need to go to the hospital you work at, like maybe we could have some separation. That's me. I don't know. In a in a normal world, yes. Not in a Shanta world. No. <laughs> in a Shanta <laughs> world, definitely not. No. <laughs> Did you clock the little boy's trench coat? Gosh, I certainly wish I had once I saw it in your notes. This child was new to me. Like this child yes. could have been like a paid actor in a Nathan for you type situation in their family. Like I don't know their family like that. So you are here to like teach me. I don't think anyone knows their family like that, <laughs> but I I do like to think that it's a different Lucas every time and we just don't know, kind of like how how they change actors in soap operas. I would really be into that. It was a really cute, like, tiny little trench coat and the the sleeves were rolled up to reveal plaid. It was, oh. it was really just a beautiful moment in toddler fashion. He also, I would like to point out, has a little toy train. Nice. And I just really want to give props to this set and whoever, I don't know if it's a child wrangler whoever it was this set knows how to work with toddler actors and we love to see it so I had a question for you because I don't come from a performing arts background and so listening you know with you and your co-host and your guests like when you talk about things such as costume or you talk about set or props or you notice their earrings 
to me, that feels like if you're noticing those things, it's because you're not just focused on the story. Or for you, is that just like part of the joy of knowing what you know and having the background you do? In the case of the red sweater in this previous episode before (laughs) this, it is a negative. Okay. But I would say as a whole, it is a positive. Another negative would be when the binder of books was not actually <laughs> – uh, the, the wall of binders was not actually binders. It was just <laughs> two-dimensional. But I think as a whole, it is it is like little Easter eggs that I get to pick out. Like when I'm watching a documentary or a docudrama, I – like if I saw a zipper in a time period that zippers did not exist – it would and has pulled me out of it. So I really like, especially, I mean, this is not a period piece, but like at this point, it kind of is. I like, I like seeing fashion and understanding that like what is on television is what people were wearing plus five, you know, like a heightened level of that. So I'd say 80 to 90% of the time it is positive and part of that joy sparking in, in these shows, but 10 to 20% it is like, wow, that was a budget cut. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I appreciate that. I mean, it sounds almost like extremes call your attention, right? Something that's done really artfully well or something. I feel that way about dialogue. I'm a very, that's what I care about most when I'm watching something or I'm enjoying something. I love to see plays. I always have the captions on. And for me, it's like certain ways that I'm if I'm really thinking about the text that this would have been based on, it's usually because it's very good or very bad. Yes. Yeah. Bad dialogue will pull me out of it any day of the week. Yeah. Any day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> I hear that completely. Yeah. Anything more for Francis before we move on to our pregnancy pact? I would love to talk about the pregnancy pact. I I would say that I would love nothing more, except there are <laughs> quite a few things I could think that I would love more than this plot line. Are you a Gilmore Girls fan? I have never seen an episode of the Gilmore Girls. Okay. I respect that. I I honor and respect that. But I will just point out very quickly that this is April from Gilmore Girls. It's Luke's daughter from Gilmore Girls. I, I know that you observed that. And I was like, okay, this is like a reference that unfortunately, like I, I am not there. I, I kind of mostly saw this through, like I was trying to catch up with the drama of the book release and Marla's bad review. And there like, was how, a lot. Like, how are any yeah. of us going to be able to cope with that? Um, this also really took me back in a lot of ways. I, was looking to see why there was recently a very big teen mom reunion on MTV. And that has pulled it all out. Yeah. Yeah. Drag Race is now on MTV for who knows why. Oh, and that is the only the only commercial that plays when you stream. It just over and over and over. Over and over. Yeah. yeah. That has been kind of re-infiltrating my life. And so I've kind of been looking back and – What I didn't, what I didn't feel, especially like watching these like very young three teenage girls who were talking about, you know, their pregnancies, you look back now at some of the young gals who are on 16 and pregnant and they look so young. I think it's because I'm distant and they're not too far from my age, but this question too of, you know, watching people who have spent their lives raising their daughters and now realizing that whole clock is being reset, they're going to have infants in their household. I think I see that with like so much empathy for everyone involved, right? Like just how difficult that situation could end up being. 
And I also, you know, flip on my phone and I see Vera Abraham, who's one of the original team mm. um, cast members. Her daughter is now literally a teenager. I So these these patterns happen like, you know, or these generations rather, they go so quickly, you know, it's, it's so intense. Yeah. I, I don't believe that I'm in a state to, um, to take that information in and it's full capacity <laughs> makes like, me she made a feel... TikTok with her boyfriend. That's where, that's where we are. So oh, no. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, you know, th- like truly the circle of life as captured by all of these programs. Is that, is Farah the one whose um, boyfriend died in the, car crash i don't mean to be too on the nose her her boyfriend's name was derek and yes oh no yes okay and so on a recent tiktok it, like it truly took me back it was showed her visiting the grave that was i think a huge part of what complicated that situation and there's very little talk about um like the father right of, yes. the, of these children which which i think is a notable absence yes that maybe it would be different now but um you you also had noted that there's no discussion of this and there's also you know kind of the pain of one of the mothers who realizes that her daughter is going to have a life similar to hers and that that's yes. not what she wanted even if it is what her daughter wants yeah i'm really glad that we've went at this storyline from the psych perspective versus the OB perspective that we would maybe come to expect from this television show. But I really like that it was, well, I don't think I liked that it was Sheldon and Violet doing it, but I liked that <laughs> it was the psych perspective of it. Maybe Sheldon on his own, but I get that we had to bring Violet and her book into it. I also just wondered, like, how did they bill insurance for this? They bill six insurances for these people? Like, this was the weirdest group session. I, I can't even begin to comprehend any of it. <laughs> I, I It's like I kept forgetting about it. Like we went from Francis to Patrick to this, but like we only saw this storyline like four scenes in the whole episode. And we often talk about how there's like an A plot, a B plot, and like an F plot. Yeah. And this felt like the F plot, but not in the way of it. what didn't fit because it was a great plot. But I kind of feel like it was a missed opportunity to do a pregnancy-packed type storyline on this particular show. I mean, the beach houses and babies of it all. Like, there's a, there's a way to do it. And I feel like, I feel like it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, you really learned very little about what might have actually motivated this or really anything about these girls. Yeah. And there's, I think the only thing they really tried to signal was that there was some, you know, obvious immaturity there. I mean, obvious from the perspective of they're not adults, right? Like they are younger people. Mm -hmm. And there is the scene where we learn about the placental abruption and we see it, right? We see this like very traumatic moment. And you have this moment of conflict where one of the other girls says, like, I don't even want to do this anymore. Yeah. And like, it's a little it's a little bit too it's a little bit too late for that at this point. <laughs> yeah. And I think this whole episode, they kind of like teased back and forth, like how, you know, how how equipped are you to make the best decisions when you're 14, 15 or 16? And whether that decision is is literally brain surgery or choosing to have a child right with someone else that they kind of like were very all over the place. And we got this like amazing, like I think in-depth view into who Patrick was as a person. And then it was like, I don't know, these three girls, we don't know. 
anything about them. Exactly. I would have liked an entire episode on these three girls because we normally have two or three patient storylines. Just make it these girls and the parent and the mothers. Maybe they thought they'd get backlash for like, you know, glamorizing it or something. I, I feel like there was so much back and forth when I was younger. Like I was in college and graduate school when 16 and pregnant and teen mom were huge. And there was yeah. so much conversation whether this was actually like helping anyone or this was just, you know, presenting teen pregnancy on a higher platform. And I think what research showed was that it did actually help a lot of people have conversations about contraception. So, but, but this episode, no. <laughs> no, not at all. Not this at all. But they could have. No. Yeah. In, in another way, they could have. Yeah. This episode that did not do that. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say well done to Paul Adelstein on this direction because there are two like – Yeah. <laughs> in this episode, one of which is Violet's face when the girl asks to see, to see the scar. She looks over and she's like, are you – you're serious? Yeah. <laughs> like what? Like in what world would that be okay? And the second one is Pete's eye roll after P- after Violet says, "Maybe this pain is good." I agree that that was that was hard, and it was like it's too soon. And like, babe, like look in a mirror first. You know, yeah. like, I've known you like an episode and a half, and I know. Yeah, it's not, That's the, not time, the place, nor the place, <laughs> not the time, nor the place. That's about all I have for our patients. Do you have anything before we move on? No. I mean, it was like quite a journey with all three of these folks. And yeah. like we can just like hope for the best in the future. We can. Yeah. We can We can have them on our minds as they go on. These babies <laughs> will be 12, 13, almost ready Ooh. for their bat mitzvahs. Yeah. Wowza. Violet and Marla and Sheldon. Oh, my. It's weird to me that Sheldon and Charlotte are talking about Sheldon's love life. At the end of last season, Sheldon wanted to be with Charlotte. They went on a date. They were talking about it. And then Charlotte chose Cooper. Just to clue you in a little bit. Yeah. No, that's very helpful. Yeah. So that was very weird to me. They're also not two people who talk very often. Uh, it just – it was a little bit strange to me. Like there are other people he could have talked to, even Cooper, although I guess not because of Violet. I don't know. He just – it was very strange to me. At 11 minutes and three seconds, I really just want to shine a light on how many stripes Sheldon is wearing in this episode. <laughs> There's stripes on the suit jacket, stripes on the shirt, and then really thick ones on the tie. I just – there's a lot of stripes going on. And Cooper is in his velvet suit jacket again. I've never clocked how much he wore it, but he wears it in like every episode. And thank, thank, thank the Lord that that red sweater is gone. <laughs> now, now why? Like why for you? Like are you curious about Marla? Like what gets you curious about her in this triangle? That's a really good question. I don't love the Violet Book storyline. Yeah. So not much about Marla gets me excited. The only thing, <laughs> if any, that gets me excited is I know that you got quite a sharp look at Sheldon this episode. But <laughs> normally, like all of our guest hosts who have been in a Sheldon-centric episode have been like, when is Sheldon going to get a love life? When is Sheldon oh. going to have someone in his life? Everyone. Because like they're like, Sheldon deserves the best because like he was trying to be with Violet. He was not chosen. He was trying to be with Charlotte. He was not chosen. And he just continually is second 
best. And now he finally has someone who he's interested in, obviously very much so, as we see from the first episode. I mean, from the first scene in this episode. Yes. But it is not the right person, socio, so, socially, socially, <laughs> in the show. Because, you know, it's Violet's arch nemesis. Although I don't think that Marla thinks about Violet nearly as much as Violet thinks about Marla. Did I say that right? Yeah, I kind of love that, though, because I think that's very real. Like, I think we all have these, like, very imagined relationships with people where it's like we believe that we have this ongoing dialogue that's never occurred. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Violet knows every single thing about Marla down to where she likes to get her bread. But all that Marla knows about Violet is, I mean, whatever she put in her book. But (laughs) Violet doesn't – Violet Violet is just, like, so enthralled with Marla. I feel that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm not sure where that trio, like not that they are a trio, but where that relationship is going to end up. I suspect someone will end up in the ER at some point, but that's just a guess. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I really liked that Marla stood up for herself in the, in the last episode. Why do I keep saying the episode? In the last um, scene of this episode, and she said like, call me when you're ready because I'm yeah. not here to play second fiddle. Yeah. And it's like, you're clearly obsessed with other people. So yeah. you can come back and get me. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. At 11 minutes and 54 seconds, there's a really strange shot zooming in on Sheldon as Violet walks <laughs> in. Did you catch it? I did not. I know that you did, but this, this was, was not part of my cinematography overview. That's okay. That's okay. There was a lot for you to to clock in this episode. But it is like it starts high, goes low, and zooms in. And it literally was a visual record scratch. And you could see it in Sheldon's eyes. It was very funny. And I didn't realize that he was waiting for Marla until like three or four seconds in. Okay, so how do you feel about people like in any situation, any context, like reaching over and grabbing a fry? Like is that – they're dead to you is that something that you love to do maybe a double standard but I okay. will do it to those I feel close to yeah. but if anyone does it to me uh-uh oh see I love it I love it I love nothing more than someone like grabbing over onto my plate and being like can I have this no. oh I mean if they ask sure if like the words come yeah. out of their mouth for permission but no if someone unless I'm obviously done with them like the napkin is inside but no, if, if someone takes my fries without asking, mm. I'll be honest, you barely have to ask me. That's like a huge – to me, like if I'm – I think in this post-COVID world or like still in COVID world, if we're eating together, you have to be a fairly significant part of my life. And so you can have anything on my plate that you want. And that probably wasn't true three years ago. No, I have not thought of it that way. That's a great way to look at it because the amount of trust that you have to have to be with someone eating right now – yeah. It's quite high. Okay. I But still, <laughs> I think I could probably have a list of like under 10 people that I would be okay with taking my fries. But like Violet, like do you think she commits a sin in this episode with the fry sharing? Like that's a problem for you. And it's, it's totally cool if it is. Violet has no boundaries. Okay. I think that <laughs> she would do this at the same level that she would like grab a cup of water in the fridge. So the fry is a symptom of other problems we have. Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that I think that's totally fair. I think that's yeah. totally valid. Yeah, it is a symptom, not the diagnosis. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm also basically a doctor, so I understand. Of course. Yeah. The amount of <laughs> Grey's Anatomy, private practice, <laughs> ER, all of that that I have watched might as well. Did you ever watch – I only had one season. It was called Good Sam, and it was on CBS with Sophia Bush. No. So I was – I mean, I love Sophia Bush from One Tree Hill. I am assuming that it is not picked up again for a second season nor has transferred. Makes me sad. I really liked that. I love – I will watch Sophia Bush in anything. No, I have not. I actually – I used to watch ER when I was a kid because my mom enjoyed watching it. And now as an adult, I enjoy George Clooney. But, you know, generally, like I really – Grace Anatomy is kind of a, you know, a blip for me. Like I generally don't watch like a ton of medical procedurals. I don't like to see blood. I'm not afraid of horror movies, but I don't like blood in that kind of context. I loved House MD. House MD is still one of my favorite TV shows of all time because I liked that he was sort of mean and could figure things out. Always loved that. Yeah, and the detective aspect. Yeah, it was sort of like if, you know, Sherlock Holmes worked in a hospital, which was the point, and I love Hugh Laurie. But generally, no, I haven't seen as many, but I like this because it's about relationships and it's as much about them not practicing medicine as it is medicine. Yes, especially this episode. Yes. And this for season, sure. really. This yeah. season, really. <laughs> I'm very confused why Marla needed to be American. I don't know why she couldn't just be British. That might be me knowing this actor. Yeah. But it really took me out of it. I also know that actor. I also am just always pleasantly surprised by like amazing actors who end up in like one or two episodes of TV shows. So that was kind of my only sense. But she was on ER, correct? She sure was. Yeah. She sure was for many a season. Yeah, that's what I thought. So I was like, oh, okay, this is sort of like, you know, medical television royalty here. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else for Violet and Marla and Sheldon? Oh, my. No, I don't know. I don't know that I could process any more about them, to tell you the truth. I don't don't think so either. I forever (laughs) avoided having Violet – book anything <laughs> as a section of this podcast I, yeah. I you know held my <laughs> I held I held my my peace in that way I understand I do but it, it was necessary for here <laughs> are there any more miscellaneous notes that you have I have a guest star spotlight but I believe we have something before that oh we sure do we sure okay. do I just have just a few miscellaneous Mostly, um, I, I you don't you don't need to co- like comment if you don't feel called to do that. <laughs> I just these um, these just are more of overarching private practice things. Directing an episode while being in it is so tough. Props to him and props to his stand-in, Charlotte. Not really having a storyline in this episode was sad because I missed her most of the time. Obviously, I love her and I worship the ground that she walks on most of the time. But she deserved this time off from the wild season that she has carried. And she got him a piano. He really plays. I'm overtaken. I'm overtaken. No, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I didn't write down a Sam style. Oh no. (gasps) Oh no. I think that's like honestly the haunting lasting effect of the red sweater. And I think that's okay. Like, You know, I think you're right. I think you're right. Something that is um, sticking in my mind is I don't remember the color, but Violet was wearing a sweater dress that was like very tight until the hips and then was looser. 
It was giving me flapper. It didn't really, <laughs> it didn't really like I would not wear it. I don't remember many dresses hitting in that place in 2011. Um, but that that is what is sticking in my mind right now. I'm also remembering a multi-strand necklace that Charlotte has on in maybe like a pewter type color. But I do agree that I am traumatized by Cooper's sweater and could not go on in this episode. So tell me about our guest star spotlight. Yes. And I will also tell you something that I, I hope makes you laugh and doesn't make you question my level of intelligence. So <laughs> I chose Michael Grant, who plays Patrick. And I I chose that for the aforementioned line, which I think was just wonderful. Either you let me do the awake craniotomy or you let me die. I mean, how do I not pick Michael Grant? So he plays yeah. the young man who is the prodigy. And I looked at his IMDb and was very taken with the fact that he was in a feature called Love in the Time of Flannel. I'm on the East Coast. And while we're recording this, it's literally zero degrees. And so oh, that no. that spoke to me this week. So I also was uh, really fascinated. I went on one of the Criminal Minds wiki pages because he has been featured on Criminal Minds. And I absolutely love that someone took the time to write him an entry while knowing nothing about him. And so they say like, we don't know his parents. We don't know who he is. We know he's from Tennessee. And then it's just a list of his credits. Here's what may uh, strike you as a funny So I picked him and then I looked and I said, oh my gosh, this is fascinating. He's Michael Grant, the 14th. He's the 14th Michael Grant of his name. No, Samantha, I am a fool and a silly. There's just 13 other Michael Grants who got on IMDb before him, clearly. But I took it to be that he is- Royalty the 14th Michael Grant of his name. And I said, wow, that's like like quite a legacy, right? That's amazing. No, that's a convention on IMDb. There are just 13 others. But he has starred in many shows from Brooklyn Nine-Nine to American Teenager. That's what he's best known for. Um, a show called Shake It Up, Children's Hospital, Pretty Little Liars. He has been on so many things, but I think he's just wonderful in this show. I would agree. I would also have thought that he was the 14th of his name. I wonder if it is the chronological sign-on of IMDb or in popularity. I I could suspect that popularity is what would trump everything. So he yeah. is the 14th most popular. I'll say this, like, you're the number one most popular Michael Grant to me after seeing this episode. But he's actually been in a lot of things, and I'm not in the theater world at all. I'm I'm not, you know, of that. I was in one play, and I didn't choke, but I, you know, I didn't make it either, right? Like, I didn't, you know, I was not the star. And that was enough for me. But I am really fascinated by people who can make a career. Like he has been in stuff consistently since 2007 and he's good. Like he has a good internet following, but he's not famous. Right. And so I really respect people who are able to make a career out of acting. He was excellent in this episode. I would agree. Are you a big Criminal Minds fan? So I have dabbled with Criminal Minds. If I let myself do a full watch through, which I have come close to, like that will be when you know to like sound the alarm. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Um, (laughs) Guest host from last episode, Melody, she was in an episode of Criminal Minds. I know. You have real actors. You have real famous people on this show. (laughs) I – 
I am fascinated by that show. I also, this is probably embarrassing. I listened to the podcast that features the casting director and the former writer and producer of that show called Real Crime Profile, and I kind of love it. So, Oh, wow. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, I'm Criminal Minds adjacent. I find it very fascinating. I also, I watched Law & Order consistently from the time I was like too young to be watching it, and I find I just can't watch cop shows now, and we don't need to get all into that, but I find I just personally can't do it. I I stick with my Law and Order SVU. Yeah. Liv has pushed me over the edge. I I can't go there with her anymore. I just can't. The Liv and Elliot of it all, like, don't get me started. <laughs> Honestly, no. don't. No. Thank you so much. I'm glad that we uh, got such a wonderful profile from Criminal Minds Wiki. We do not know where he's from. We do not know his parents. I thought that was going to be the part that made me laugh. <laughs> they both did. <laughs> Our trivia, this episode scored 7.35 million viewers, up from the 5 million from two episodes ago, a little bit below last episode. I'm wondering how many of these viewers stayed on after Grey's Anatomy and how many of them were uh, simply unable to continue watching media after that episode and turned it off. Yeah. <laughs> this is the second out of two episodes in the entire series that don't feature Kate Walsh as Addison Forbes Montgomery. Sam says to Pete that Addison is in Seattle delivering a baby. This baby is Sophia Robin Sloan Torres, whom Addison had to deliver early because her mothers, Callie Torres and Arizona Robbins, were mm-hmm. in a car accident while Callie was pregnant. This episode runs parallel to the Grey's Anatomy episode Song Beneath the Song as proven by Addison being absent in this episode to deliver a baby in Seattle and the air dates of both episodes mm-hmm. to remind you that is March 31st, 2011. This is the first episode to be directed by Paul Adelstein, who plays Cooper. Tom Bauer, who plays Dennis Hoffman, also plays Mr. Schultz in an episode of Grey's Anatomy. This is season nine. He needed a heart-lung transplant, and he got it from his neighbor, whose wife left him for, and, like, it was a whole, like, Hatman Hatman and McCoy type thing. Hatfield and McCoy type thing. Vanessa Morano, who plays Casey, a.k.a. April, also played Holly Wheeler in an episode of Grey's Anatomy. This is season eight. She was kidnapped at six years old and came into the hospital at 18 after being found by hikers in the woods. She is also a triple crown with Station 19. She is another one who works a lot. Huh. And I mean, she is really the standout of the young women and their mothers because she has like the medical emergency that ends up resulting in an emergency C-section. Yes. I wish we would have heard more from the daughter of the mother who knew about the book. Yeah. Like, as you said, we learned so little about the dynamics between the mothers and daughters. Like, it's very almost like a caricature. And then we learned very yes. little about the girls themselves. And they really seem like the world's weirdest plot device to get to talk about Violet's book. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I think it's a really missed opportunity. And- Agreed. Yeah. We may see them again. We may not. That's what I like to be vague. Oh. Okay. I'm being very – we will not see them again. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What about Francis? No. Too soon. Well, well, I mean, dead people do come back all the time on Grey's Anatomy, so yeah. 
so we normally have Melissa's muses, but today we're going to have Allison's assumptions. Yes, I'm ready. Take it away. Let me know what you think about what's going to happen in the future with our dear friends. So this is all about predictions. We're not quite rating just yet. Yes, not quite yet. That's next. Okay. And do you prefer me to focus on main characters or is it okay to like speculate beyond? Whatever your 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 heart desires. I need to believe that Patrick and Grandpa end up living full-time in New York City. Patrick, of course, goes to Juilliard. He has an amazing scholarship to play piano. I just also want to imagine that Dr. Amelia Shepard just, like, has an amazing life. I just want her life to be happy. I want everything to be good for her. She is my favorite. I like her, even on Grey's Anatomy. I don't – I'm not trying to be funny. I don't know what happens past this episode. I know. I'm hiding behind my mic. Okay. So I want things for Pete to be good. I think he needs a lot of therapy. I really want Pete to get a full-time therapist who's not affiliated with this healthcare network. And I want Pete to take that seriously. And I want Pete and his wife to have a real conversation about how you really can't meddle in like parent-child relationships with spouses and, you know, good friends. So I'm trying to think who else. Honestly, Sheldon is kind of like not it for me. And I apologize. I have a very skewed view. I hope Sheldon like takes some time with a mirror. That's my assessment. I love that. I okay. love that for him. <laughs> does um does something really bad happen to Amelia? Yes. Oh, okay. Don't tell me. I I, I want to go on like not knowing. Yeah, yeah. It's uh well more than one bad thing oh really okay I mean you're on a show for this many years true you're yeah. in, you're in Shondaland you're in danger that's a fact. true that's true a fact. you're you're in danger girl okay um, well I'm gonna choose to believe that she honestly has so much money banked she's paid off all of her student loans despite struggles as a child and she has some like great years in the Caribbean Amelia yeah okay well, she's still on Grey's Anatomy. So we're talking like in like 2029. Oh, no. In my world, she's not. Like I've. <laughs> okay. Okay. I feel that. So like directly after this episode, she's like, hey, guys, I'm going to go help Naomi build orphanages and hospitals. How do you top the brain surgery she performed in this episode? You don't. Well, if she doesn't go on, then you're right. I also hope that the daughter that Casey has uh, goes on to write her own tell-all book. Oh, Yeah. That would be great. Oh, yeah. I want them all. I want those three babies to, like, meet each other in college. Yes. And have, like, a la parent trap, but in college. Like an amazing unspoken kinship. I think that would be very cool. Yeah. They're like, why do we feel so connected? Because, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would love that. I, I would I would watch that uh, made-for-TV movie for sure. Since you didn't get to see Addison at all in this episode, do you have yes. anything – I mean, I know we missed her. Obviously, we missed her. But do you have anything you'd like to say about, like, what you'd like to see for her, what you think we'll see for her? She's a character that I had so many struggles with on Grey's Anatomy because I felt like she was so complex and she pulled out so many emotions. I, perhaps unrealistically, shot in the dark. I'd like to see her running her own hospital or running her own clinic. I think that would be great. She is a character that I had to really – grow to appreciate and there are other characters like Bailey that I appreciated from the jump and Addison and her leadership I had to really grow to do that do I think it was necessary for her to travel to deliver this baby I'm gonna say no probably not (laughs) 
But you know what? It's her miles. It's her, you know, transportation. It's not mine. This is a pre-COVID world. I hope she takes a little break. I hope all these people take a little break. You know, if you're having a tummy bug, if you're having anything, just take the week off, man. You know, life is too short. Yeah. Have a lie down. Yeah. (laughs) Just have a lie down. Have a Napa, as they famously say in Sex in the City, you know? Sure do. Sure do. Thank you for those assumptions. Thank you. (laughs) We're at ratings and MVPs. I know that ratings can be a little bit tricky. Do you need any guidance? Do you need any assistance, anything, or you feel confident? I feel confident in you, but I like to give the option. Yeah. So I once had, I do feel okay. So Okay. I once had a day where my mother and I were on a fool's errand. We had this umbrella we'd never used before, and we tried to install the umbrella like in a sand situation where it was never going to work. That was a little bit like that was about as misguided as I felt agreeing to assess a television show that I am a stranger to. But me and my mom also had a really fun day at the beach. And unlike a lot of characters on this show, we have a wonderful relationship. And I was thinking that this is kind of this episode kind of like when it all came together, it reminded me of the worst part of my day. I go to the beach constantly. The worst part of my day is when the snack bar has closed, the bathroom Mm. has closed. I know I need to Mm -hmm. go home, but I don't Mm -hmm. want to. I have to get to that point of resolution. I have to get to the end point. Everyone else is leaving. Now I kind of have to go to the bathroom. Felt like that part of the day at the beach slash my umbrella incident. Interesting. I love that. (laughs) I went to the beach last weekend. I love the East Coast beaches, by the way. I love those New England beaches. But I went to Malibu. My cousin was in town. So it was my two cousins and I who are more like siblings than cousins and my little pup who is the beach paw troll. And she is just happy as a clam on the beach. But we were there at sunset because traffic, of course. And so we were eating our in and out on the beach, getting ready. And the sun was going down. It was beautiful at first. But then we were like – might not be safe after dark. It was probably be safe after dark, but we were like, we should go. And so, yeah, I feel that I feel that deeply on a deeply personal level. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. My rating is quite different. It's when you have spinach <laughs> stuck in your teeth. Then I put at the beach because it has to be at the beach. But that's just what it made me think of. Everybody is worried about what everybody else thinks. And they're worried that something is wrong with them and no one will say it. But the ones closest to you are the ones who will tell you how to pick the spinach out. Or perhaps when it comes to Violet, will pick the spinach out of your teeth themselves. I like that. I think I think Violet would reach over and do it. Oh, absolutely. To anyone. Maybe even to Marla. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. My MVP is Pete for opening up and letting his mom in, doing what was right for her in the end. It's really been a slow burn with him. We've met Francis two or three times already, I think. Heard about her a million times. But it was sort of like the end for her. And Addison's mother passed away in this season also. This is just kind of like the season oh. of the dead moms. And it's – I'm excited for Addison to come back and have a conversation with Pete at some point. Whether that happens on screen or not, I know it would happen behind closed doors. I almost gave my MVP to Charlotte simply for the piano bit, but I give mine to Charlotte a lot, so I decided not to. Who's your MVP? My MVP is Violet because she did not commit homicide when someone made that horrific comment to her about psychiatry, (laughs) the someone being Sheldon. And so that will stick with me. Honestly, I'll be thinking about that for years. And I like a show that has a few kind of 
funny or discordant notes in the dialogue and that like just really stuck out to me on a show that has very powerful women as such a goofy line and it was just delivered so well and the character playing opposite Sheldon Violet just played it so well that had to be my MVP scene I I I love that choice yeah Thank you so much for being here. I've been looking forward to this all year. Dear listeners, I emailed them. Oh, wonderful. A, a, maybe a year ago. Whenever I started planning it. Close to a year yeah, ago. Yeah, whenever I started planning it, I was like, cool, book launch. And then things happened and they weren't on the book launch episode. And I was like, you know what? We're going to go with it. <laughs> and You're very organized. I don't know if your listeners know this about you. You're extremely organized. You have everything planned very far in advance. And I admire that so much because it takes a lot of work. Thank you. I don't know if we've said officially on the podcast, but our dear co-host Melissa is in White Girl in Danger at Second Stage. This is by Michael R. Jackson of Strange Loop fame. This is like huge and we are so happy for her, but she's going to be in less than normal, obviously, as you've probably noticed, but she's going to come in when she can. She's still watching. She still loves you. She'll send a voice memo every, every now and then. But yeah, dear Melissa is in White Girl in Danger. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Beach Houses and Babies, a private practice recap podcast. Please follow us on Instagram at BHAB Podcast and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Anchor to be the first to hear future episodes. You can find me at Samantha G. Harris on all social media. And you can follow me at Allison Horrocks on all social media. If you'd like to support Beach Houses and Babies, please consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and sharing with a friend. It really helps people learn about the show and we might read your review on the podcast. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash bhabpodcast. On our next episode, we'll be discussing Private Practice, Season 4, Episode 19. They are all available to stream on Hulu and can be purchased on iTunes, Amazon, DVD, and more. If you have thoughts you'd like to share with us on these episodes, please DM us on Instagram at bhabpodcast or email us at bhabpodcast at gmail.com to be featured on our listener mail segment. Thank you for listening. BHAB Podcast will be back in two weeks. TGIT! TGIT!